Well, thank you for joining me again for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we're going to have a look at one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one is invest your energy more wisely. And unfortunately, we don't have uh, Christina with us today. She's uh, jetted off to Amsterdam today. So uh, we're going to have a look at 10 attributes of a good manager. But right now, we're going to have our monthly chat with uh, Chartered Accountant Tony Vidray. Good afternoon, Tony. Hello, how are you? (laughs) You, You've set me a very interesting uh, subject this afternoon. And I'm interested to hear what we're going to talk about. Compare and contrast the recent federal election, the English Football Association Cup final, and Eurovision 2019. Yep, a, a very interesting topic, and and one that not a single commentator in Australia would ever have ventured um, into. So, I, if you remember back to your high school days, I always used to hate those English teachers that would give you those essays to do, you know, compare and contrast. So, <laughs> so we'll do a little bit of that. So. Yeah, let's compare them first. So there were three big events, and the short answer is that they all happened on the same weekend. The the election happened on the Saturday. The results unveiled on the Saturday night. Two o'clock the following morning, the FA Cup final was on between Manchester City and and Watford, and then later that morning, the Eurovision final for for 2019 at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I was staring, watching the results um, come out in the morning, and I thought there's a link between all of those three. And the link is, that this is what I want to talk about, is that in each of those three contests, there was an absolute clear favourite. Right. Yeah. Absolute clear favourite. So the Labor Party in the election had won something like, well, not won, but there were 50 polls, Mm. um, consecutive polls, where they were absolute odds-on favourite to win that federal election. Um, In the FA Cup final, Manchester City were odds-on favourite to win that FA Cup final. They'd finished, they'd won the Premier League um, in one of the most extraordinary races ever. Um, And Watford um, finished 11th, and I think the odds were something like Sportsbet were giving them a dollar two to to win the FA Cup final. Um, And in the Eurovision final, the Netherlands were absolute odds-on favourite to win it. There was a poll conducted across Europe. Who do you think is going to win it? The Netherlands polled 21% of the vote, and the country that came second polled 7%. So they they outranked the the country that came second three to one. Okay, so that... In all three, they, they were, there were overwhelming favourites to win it, right? Mm. Now, let's contrast. The, the contrast here is that two of them won, and, uh, and, and one of those, uh, the Labor Party, didn't win. Now, again, and, and my question is why? why? And I was, I was sitting there analysing, thinking, why, why would there have been a difference and why didn't the Labor Party win? And I think the answer lies in um, planning and execution of strategy. That obviously leads into our business show then. And that's the segue into the business segment for you. So so let's look at the FA Cup final, OK? Now, do you think that the manager, Pep Guardiola, uh, in charge of Manchester City, do you think that he did not have a plan? Of course he did. Mm. Um, every game that he confronts, he looks at the opposition players, he, he studies their weaknesses, he comes up with the tactics, and then they get on the field and they execute the strategy. Um, Manchester City won that FA Cup final 6-0. It's one of the, I think it's the highest FA Cup final result. And part of the strategy was, don't do anything silly, be you know, be sure at the back, let's just wear this team down. I think the score was only 1-0 at half-time, mm. all right? And they, they executed the strategy. They stuck to what they had to do. They stuck to the script. No one did anything silly. And in the end, they ended up... Because um, there was a lot of pressure on them as well because they were the first English Premier League to win what they call the domestic 
treble. No other, t- no other team had done the Premier League, the FA Cup, and another um, smaller cup competition called the Carabao Cup all in the same season. So they're the first um, team to have done that. So they had a lot of pressure on them in the, you know, the lead-up to the games. They could have choked slipped on the banana skin, all that sort of stuff, but they just they stuck to the to the plan. Mm. Now, Eurovision, the Netherlands, right? This is not a, like, a, Eurovision, a little bit of trivia for you, every song in Eurovision cannot go longer than three minutes. So this isn't a situation where someone gets tapped on the shoulder and says, OK, go up there and sing a song for three minutes. It's about four, five months in the planning. You've got to be selected by your country. You've got to, you perform the song. It's got to be an original song. That's the first thing. You've got to write an original song. You perform it. You've got to get selected by your country. Once you've tapped on the shoulder to say, yep, you're, you're representing our country, you then perform it over and over again in front of the jury, in front of live audiences. You've got to go into a studio and record it for the album. Um, and there's a lot of interviews. There's a lot of pressure that builds. And, and the Netherlands would have known, all the people behind the singer, that they were the clear favourites. Mm. Now, I went back and watched, because I taped it, I watched the performance in the second semi-final. He performed it in the second semi-final, and he, he won the right to go through to the, the grand final. Mm. And then watch the grand final performance, and I can tell you that in that three minutes, both performances were almost identical, down to the second, down to the key changes, down to the, you know, when they turned to the crowd, when they, you know, the choreography. Everything was meticulously planned by those people behind the scenes to say, this is what you've got to do to win it, breathe, Mm. (laughs) Mm. execute the strategy, and they won, and they ended up winning, and and they ended up winning quite comfortably. Mm. Now the Labor Party. Why didn't, why did they not win? The federal election. I'm there's sure there's a lot, lot of, of scrutiny going on with that one. A lot of recriminations. And we've heard it all. We've, we've heard the whole, all of the things. But And and, you, and we can look, I don't want to get political about this, about, no. you know, whether they had a, a plan or, you know, whether they whether they didn't. They had a plan, but I, I, and they just didn't, to Stick me, they didn't execute it. it well. They just didn't execute it well. They, they got stuck on a couple of um, policies around, you know, around the details. Uh, the Liberal Party ran a very very strategic, a very, you know, damaging campaign against them. They picked a lot of holes in their um, in their policies. Um, and I, I just think they fell very, very short in the actual execution and the way that they were trying to sell their policies to the public to get them to accept what they were trying to do was going to be the, for the benefit of the nation. So, so I think what, what we're saying there is that uh, it's important to have a plan, first of all, and, and to stick with it. Um, and just just because you feel you're going to be successful, you've still got to uh, make sure you stick with that plan. There's, look, there's a real business lesson in this, and yeah. that's the irony about all this, is that there's a massive business lesson in this. And this is, we'll pick one, let's, I'll pick one of the policies that they, that they ran with, and it was the franking credits, okay? So, yeah. so it came out, it was, it was, they announced that they were going to save, you know, $8.8 billion or something over four years. Um, and within days, someone tapped them on the shoulder and said, look, you know, this policy is going to affect 93,000 pensioners across 11 marginal electorates. Within a week, Bill Shorten came out and said, oh, no, we're going to exempt pensioners from it. Now, this is the part of the planning and the execution that I just can't get my head around. Surely to goodness, somewhere in the background when they thought of this policy, when Chris Bowen costed the whole thing out, surely they should ask themselves, OK, we're going to save ourselves the money. That's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. What could go wrong? Where's yeah, the, yeah. you know, the, you know the, the simple SWOT analysis that businesses should do yes. around these things, the strength, weaknesses, opportunity, the threat. What was the threat? Had they sat down and done that, that would have been teased out in the, in the you know, analysis and they would have come out 
on oh, day one strategy. and said, yeah, that's the strategy. Here's the policy. We're going to take franking credits away. Pensioners are exempt, blah, 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 right from day one. The, the moment you start, start flip-flopping and, and changing your mind, it's clear that you haven't done all of your homework. Oh, and the, the analogy, the only business analogy that I can come up with, right, is let's say you've got a large company that gives rebates back to its customers. If you purchase a certain volume of stuff with us, widgets, whatever it is, we will give you a volume rebate. Now, the new CEO comes to that company and goes, geez, we're giving away a lot of rebates here. If we stop giving rebates back to our customers, um, then we're going to save ourselves X amount of money and we're going to look terrific. Now, if they do that in a round table with all of the stakeholders, who do you think is going to have a heart attack at that suggestion? All the salespeople. (laughs) All the salespeople who go, hang on, you can't do that. All of our customers are loyal to us. All of a sudden now you're going to start... And that's where the discussion is around the round table, where they go, no, 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 you don't do that. Um, you know, rather than take it off, then we might scale it down, we might change it a little bit, we might, you know, trim a little bit here and there. Off the, that's the discussion where you bring yeah. people to the round table to discuss what could What's go doing? wrong. So yeah. there's, a, there's a massive business lesson in that weekend about planning and execution across all of those. You couldn't get three more diverse events <laughs> in your life. <laughs> but it shows that when we watch our sport and when we watch our uh, singing competitions and so forth and our politics, they all have lessons for us in business. And I just sat there seriously looking at the results coming out at Eurovision thinking on the on the Sunday morning, I'm thinking, wow, there's a real lesson in this. I'm going to share it with Julian on his program next time we talk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's why I use the penguin in my uh, talks too, so even nature. And then, I, and then I went back to sleep for the better part of the day because I hadn't slept all night. <laughs> well, well, next next month we might have a look at uh, what the uh, the new government has brought into place in taxation and so forth. Yeah, yeah, we'll wait and see what the, what they're going to bring in. But um, yeah, there's some changes uh, that, that will come in on the first of July, so we can have a we can have a chat around some of the um, some of the things that will kick in on, on the uh, the new financial year by then. Right. You have a good month. We'll talk to you next month. Thanks, Julian. Thank you. Bye bye. Cheers. Tony Vidray there with uh, an interesting uh, viewpoint on, uh, well, sport and uh, music and politics and nature all, all have lessons for us in business. And you're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM. It's coming up to 24 minutes past one. And as I said earlier, Christina is in um, um, Amsterdam at the moment, so she couldn't be with us. So I grabbed this article, it caught my attention a few couple of months ago, from the Institute of Managers and, and Leaders um, man, uh, magazine, uh, and was written by the uh, General Manager of the Corporate Services and Research, Sam Bell, but it was called 10 Attributes of Good Managers. And the interesting point was that between... 2008 and 2018, Google set out to understand what makes good managers using internal research and direct employee feedback. And this was the result. It came out with uh, 10 key behaviours for managers. First one was a manager is a coach. That's someone who doesn't try to solve every problem. They coach informally as part of the day-to-day team development. A coach should identify skills or knowledge gaps and offer support through an appropriate course of action. Secondly, a manager empowers their team. Everybody hates micromanagers. If you micromanage, you end up with mediocre people. It's better to lead with suggestions and empower people to make the decisions. 
A good manager allows a degree of freedom to explore new ideas, to experiment and to develop their own working style. Thirdly, a manager builds trust. Great managers make a priority to build trust. This can be distilled into six habits. Have a story, lead by example, develop empathy, give people a voice, use evidence and recruit people to make a difference. The fourth point is a manager is results-oriented. Intelligence, toughness, determination and vision are not enough for today's leaders. They must be aware of their team's productivity capability and use emotional intelligence to motivate people to reach their potential. Fifth, a manager listens. Many managers hear but don't listen. Hearing is passive. Listening is active. It's common to hear the opening lines of a sentence, recognise that you've heard it before and leap to the conclusion. And that is not listening. In extreme cases, we might even try finishing people's sentences. Great managers are great listeners. They foster understanding. Learning to listen takes practice, commitment and the development of new skills. Sixth, a manager invests in people. Great managers invest in their people. The risk of not investing is turnover of your staff. Number seven, a manager has vision. Today, a strong vision must connect with social purpose. They want their workplace vision to have positive impact on society. And we're certainly seeing more and more of that in business today. Number eight, a manager earns respect. If managers have some technical ability and are prepared to roll up their sleeves, the team members will respect them. That doesn't mean that the manager is the most technically skilled person, but they need to show they understand the challenges and are willing to get their hands dirty. Number nine is a manager collaborates. Google, Google study that is, found that the managers work for the good of the whole organisation rather than competing against colleagues. And number 10, a manager makes decisions. Great managers decide. They make the tough decisions and make sure everyone understands the reason behind the decisions. So, as it says here, a quote attributed to Theodore Roosevelt states that in any moment of decision, the worst thing you can do is nothing. So there's the 10 attributes of a good manager. Be a coach, empower your team, build trust, uh, be results-oriented, listen, invest in your team, manage, a manager has a vision, earn respect, collaborate with others and make decisions. And you're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM. It's coming up to 28 minutes to 2. So it's time for our Harvard Business Review tip. And as we said earlier, this particular one is invest your energy more wisely. Most of us operate at full tilt with little energy to spare. So we need to be strategic about where we put our energy so that we apply it to what matters most. And here's how to start. First of all, track your energy. Set your phone to beep at random times to prompt you to notice how you're spending your energy. Secondly, know what matters. Figure out what brings the most value and joy to your life. 
Thirdly, plan wise energy investment. Once you know which things matter most, schedule as many of them in your calendar as possible. Fourthly, plan where not to invest. Once you become aware of where you're putting your energy, you'll notice which activities are pointless energy drains. And finally, don't overthink it. It can be easy as pulling yourself out of a useless conversation, not responding to a silly email, or letting go of a nagging thought. So some interesting points there of investing our energy. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We had an interesting chat there with uh, Tony Vidray about uh, comparing um, the federal election and the English Football Association Cup final and Eurovision. And, of course, uh, the importance that came out of that was uh, planning, preparation, sticking to your plan, making sure just because you think you're going to be successful, making sure uh, the I's are crossed I just dotted and the T's are crossed. And we've looked at 10 attributes of a good manager. In a moment, Jane Klein will be with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have our Minute on Innovation with Christina back from Amsterdam and probably full with uh, some fantastic information for us. We'll have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting exciting and prosperous week and, as Joseph Campbell once said, follow your bliss and the universe will open doors where there were only walls. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.